So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another episode of Sower in the States Baseball. My name is Chris, the MLS card guy. I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Trevin B. How are you today, Trevin? I'm great, Chris. Uh, I got to say, I w- I've been through an ups and downs all week, but I'm back up. Let's just put it that way. We don't even need to get into the downs, but I was kind of kind of uh, feeling low. I was mad at So Rare for some of the baseball stuff and uh, that I feel is lacking. And I was like, man, this baseball game, I don't know if it's going to last, but th- that was just, it was just a bad day. And uh, since yeah. then, I've been back in the markets, buying cards, building lineups. So I'm back. Yeah. And, and we talked about that a little bit last week and obviously still some things that need to be done, but we did say as well, you know, so rare is a company that doesn't necessarily move quickly, but they do typically move in the right direction. Um, so definitely looking forward to, uh, to getting some of these things in so we can kind of play the game that we're kind of used to. Um, today we have a, a very special guest on the podcast. He was our very first guest on the soccer side of things. Um, I have twisted his arm and leg to get him into the baseball side of things. And he now hates me for it because he is 100% in baseball. Now uh, his name is Bob Flynn, AKA orange fly. How are you today, Bob? Or the crown baby. Oh, that's right. We've got yes. <laughs> for all the football fans out there. We've got uh, two very big Charlotte collectors who go to head to head for a lot of the Charlotte, uh, Charlotte cards. So uh, I'll try to break up any fights that happen on screen here. Not anymore, man. Not anymore. I've, traded up a lot of my rares and super rares to really get deep into the baseball side of things. And I'm absolutely loving it so far. It's brought back that childhood love of the sport that I had growing up that I really, really miss. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I think we talked about that maybe like week two about how it's, how so rare kind of changes the sport that as you watch it and as you kind of consume it and enjoy it. Um, so yeah, I love that you mentioned that as well. Um, now who's, who's your team in baseball? I mean, you're not a Rangers fan, right? We don't have to separate you on that. I'm a Yankees fan, man. I grew up in New York and went to my first baseball game with my grandfather watching the Yankees play back in the good old 1980s. If anyone remembers that time period, we're old. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, man, just kind of following along with them. I've been to a number of Yankee games. I worked out in Manhattan for a while, so I would go whenever I had the opportunity. Nice, nice. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's the best Yankee of all time? I mean, yeah, of all time. I mean, it's I mean, it's Babe Ruth, right, of all time. But that's not really a fair wow. question. Okay. It's not a fair question, though. I mean, you know, you can talk about Joe DiMaggio. Like, we don't want to get into like, baseball history with Roger Maris and his home runs. But, I mean – Growing up, I was a Don Mattingly fan, man. Like he had like before his mustache and just Don Mattingly as a man, as the first baseman, absolutely loved him. Third baseman, Mike Pegularulo, like no one's going to know that name and that's okay. But as we get older, you know, Derek Jeter, just watching him play. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough uh, for Aaron Judge's first home run. I was there at Yankee Stadium and he knocked that out of the park. So that was a really fun thing to see what he's turned into. That's pretty cool. I actually caught Ozzy Albies' 10th home run ball and I tried to get it certified and they would not let me do it. They gave me like a little kid's certificate that says, yeah, you got a ball. And I was like, no, that's not what I'm looking for guys. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, that's the collector in me. Um, so we will, I guess, jump right into things. So the topic for this week, as you may have surmised from the title, why is baseball different than soccer? So a lot of people are going to come over from the soccer side. They're going to start to play this game and they're going to kind of apply the same kind of mindset and the same kind of principles. So essentially, I want to, you know, kind of take a deep dive and kind of look into why that may be not the best thing to do or specific areas where you should kind of target, um, you know, a different mindset at a different change and, and view this as a completely different sport, because obviously it is a completely different sport. Um, so I guess we'll start with you, Trippin, and, and just kind of maybe off the top of your head, um, maybe a, a, a reason or, or, or two to get us started here on why baseball is different and how you should approach this game differently. Uh, there's plenty of reasons and let's get it started. Yeah. First off, let me just throw in the greatest Ranger of all time is Rusty Greer. And uh, we'll go from there. Although Nolan Ryan and Josh Hamilton certainly make cases, but I think one of the main differences is right on the face is the lack of ETH rewards. The fact that you can win money directly in soccer for big finishes or for hitting a threshold versus you only win cards and nothing but cards in baseball is going to be a major factor in, in almost, it's almost like the, the baseline of how you need to approach baseball versus soccer, because you have to decide what your goals are going to be because in, in soccer, it's very easy on so rare soccer, you can, or so rare football, you can just be like, Hey, I'm going to build a, a threshold team and just grind ETH and try to build up that way. Or I'm going to pay for these guys who are going to get me to the top. I'm going to buy a bunch of great cards for podium finishes to win ETH prizes that even if I can't set, even if the market's dead and I can't sell the cards that I'm winning, I'm winning straight cash homie for uh for for a great finish that that's not going to exist in baseball at least as of now so they kind of determines like how much are you going to spend on your cards or what what are you really is your objective when you're buying baseball cards are you so that's a huge huge factor um other things that pop off the top of my head is that you need you know so seven you uh, in baseball versus so five in so football so you're going to have to buy a few extra cards and things like that you need to know there's really no in soccer there's the you know, this has been stolen many times by other people, and I'll steal it now too. Our uh, one of the great people in the so rare football community, Quinny, who you know has has made the the cool point. You know, the the price of a goalkeeper is like your price of entry into a contest. Let's say, like you can't enter a contest without a goalkeeper, and that's why they're so expensive, even though it's the dumbest position and really doesn't belong in a fantasy <laughs> game. But in baseball, there's not really that. I mean, you do have to have a starting pitcher, and starting pitchers, I'm seeing sell it a little bit of a premium, but they don't really quite have that like super premium that goalkeepers have in, in the football game. They, they're more balanced. There's more starting pitchers available versus outfield players. Whereas in, you know, there's in, in football, there's 10 outfield players for every goalie and, and think and bench players and all that stuff. So there's that relief pitchers also, you know, you need a relief pitcher in the game, but you can get, you can, you could buy the cheapest relief pitcher and take a zero at that spot. In a, in a game week and as long as you have great hitters you're probably actually going to be okay i think the ability to have a high finish even a podium finish with a zero in your lineup i think is much much higher in baseball compared to, to football so there's that and then you just get into the issues of consistency football players that can have bad form they can have dips in form they can have rises in form they can have hot streaks and they can look good for a while but like you like you know like if you have Kimmick. We, I'll steal your example from our pre-show discussion here, Chris. If you have Joshua Kimmich, you know he's getting you 60 no matter what. Even on his worst day, he's going to get you 60 points almost every time, you know, 90% of the time. Whereas in baseball, you know, you can take 
Ronald Acuna Jr. on from your your favorite team, the Atlanta Braves. You know, bright young star, rising superstar in the game, one of the very best people in the game, and he's he's on a cold streak and his he's hitting some inconsistencies right now. We hope he'll bounce back. I especially hope he'll bounce back because I just bought his limited today. But uh, you know, uh, the best in the game can still give you zeros in baseball, which is not going to happen in football. Is that, that's all the stuff just off the top of my head. What do you all think? So. Yeah. And one, um, one thing, Chris. Uh, yes. So one of the things you talked about, Dan, was no ETH for the tournaments. And I actually think it's a pretty good thing. Mm-hmm. For one of the things that the football side of SoRail really struggles is getting people in. So there was a point last year, and we were all there for it, that cards were too expensive and there were not enough of a supply for rares, super rares, and uniques to take care of the incoming market. And so we released limiteds. And the idea was limiteds were going to be the entry points. For most people to get in and as a new user you want to be able to get in there and and you want to be able to buy your best players like you want to be able to buy the mbappes of the world but now he costs two ETH. like so now without an e threshold without something that you're driving towards the actual price is what we're seeing for limiteds and rares is that they're actually a lot more affordable than it comes in there which opens the market for a lot more of a user base and actually makes it more accessible to the users the super rares and uniques are still going to be for the well types but it's a completely different marketplace. It's already there, and you're going to get a different group of users that come in. And I actually think that's pretty good, Dan, because when we look at it, the amount of money that you are winning, so experienced people are winning in so rare football, are not based on ETHs and you know, on, on ETH thresholds. And obviously, you have people grinding them. But a majority of what you make in ROI comes from the cards and rewards that you've won, you've turned around and sold. And we actually see this quite a bit. And I think that this is a big step for baseball. And I think that they can, it's kind of a proof of concept to show that it can be done, that it's not needed. They can help regulate an entry point for the market, which I'm actually really excited about because end of the day, more people get in better. It's going to be for the game because some of those people, even if it's 0.05% of those people will eventually move up to rare, will eventually move up to super rare and uniques and just get in and sweep the floor. And like, that's kind of what you're looking for, for the long term of the product. So I think that's a really good point that you make here about having almost an easier game for newer people to come in and play. And I think it's 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 a good point, right? It's it's something that I think they focused on quite a bit. And you can even see that with the common league, right? A thousand rewards as opposed to what was it, three rewards in soccer for mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, so obviously they're they're trying to implement more um, let's say beginner friendly measures. Um, how does that how does that change our perspective what do we do strategy wise with that um knowing that it's maybe a little bit easier to get in is it not as important for us to go and buy aaron judge and just try and compete every single week do we want to go and look for younger guys or or you know undervalued guys or cheaper guys based on the fact that you know any given week they could still go off just like aaron judge does and i'll I'll give that one to you bob Yeah, and I think that comes down to the randomness of baseball. I mean, essentially, baseball is a random number number generator, and anyone can have a great week on any given week. And it's really nice because you don't you won't see you know like in football, Kylian Mbappe and Messi and Neymar in the winning lineups consistently. You won't see that here. You may see Judge when he peaks and he hits you know three home runs, or anybody that hits three home runs are going to be up there because it's a massive bonus. But because prices are going to be lower, especially at the limited side, it gives us the opportunity to actually make the market more active, believe it or not. One of the things that I was concerned about was in football, we bet soccer, we buy guys if we don't have enough guys to fill a team 
for a given week, game week. And this happens quite a bit. And so you'll buy and you'll sell and you'll move and you get a lot of market activity on that point. So like transfer day, deadline day, you get a lot more activity. With baseball, and Dan and I were talking about this earlier uh, today, you know, who has the most games? We're looking at volume of games. And this week it happens to be the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Dan, I think you put together a stack to maximize the number of games knowing that if you have more games uh, than anybody else, you have a much higher probability of putting points on the board and winning. And I think those strategies, Chris, will help really drive the market and those secondary sales. And the big guys like Judges and Sotos, you're just going to hold on to those. Like You're not going to see a lot of flipping of those cards. But I think that that volume of games will help drive the market quite a bit. So you think? Uh, so you think basically on any given week, if a team is playing four games as opposed to two games – you're going to see a lot of people buying those cards. Do you think that happens the week of the, you know, two weeks before when, when should we get in and get that stack? Do we have to forecast, you know, when the season comes out in March, do we have to go and buy our stack for October? Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you're you're just, you have dead money if you're doing that, right? You want to buy players that you want to cheer for and go for. And if you have guys that have four game, four games in a given week, most people only have three. It just puts you at an advantage. Mm -hmm. that want to win and are really focused on that part of it, they have the ability to spend less than $100 and put together four of the top players, the first, the one, two, three, four hitters in that lineup for a team that has the maximum number of games. And you are already at an at-bat advantage against everybody else in the tournament, which, I mean, and it's really a game of like very few points, you know, decimal points actually win or lose these things. So it's a strategy that I think more and more people as we get there will start taking advantage of. I expect the DFS people to do it. I expect people that are more liquid in their assets, same thing. And it's it could be a viable strategy as long as we're able to make those sales. So what do we think about maybe swings and form? We talked about how Kimmich always kind of gets us a 60 every single week. In baseball, you, you talked about how like a guy like Ronald Acuna kind of has a downturn and, he, and his price has kind of gone down as well. And we were kind of talking about that, like this guy is probably going to be around for 15 years. He's probably going to be one of the top 10 hitters in the game for 15 years. And he's selling at a price that's very reasonable right now, uh, to be 100% honest. I have no idea why his price is that low. Um, And the only reason that I can think of is since we've started playing for the, what, the first six, seven game weeks now, he hasn't really gone off. He's had like a 36, I think, was his top score for a game week, which is good, but it's not like, you know, Aaron Judge was shooting 70s and 80s um is is this going to be something where we kind of look for those down sluggers we kind of look for those guys that are uh that we know have talent and know over the course of a season are going to hit you know massive numbers but they're down right now and their price has kind of dripped more than we do in soccer tripping yeah i think i think so big time and my my whole strategy and approach to this game has been evolving i, I had some ideas that i you know put out even in the early episodes we did and things that I was thinking about, about ways to do this. And once the game gets into practice, you kind of, you kind of evolve the, you know, in any type of game, the meta evolves and people start to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And so, you know, I, you saw for the first couple of weeks, people were jamming in starting pitchers in their flex spot. Now you see a lot less of that, even, you know, for four game weeks in five game weeks into this game, you know, you know, the game's a month old, let's say, and people are starting to figure out, okay, I actually want to chase upside again because of the no E thresholds, because you really are just trying to, you know, compete for the top spots more than it's go big or go home is, is basically the way you would do it here in baseball. So 
that is one level in terms of hitters in the flex is sort of evolving as the, as a meta tactic. And then, yeah, I thought I would, you know, Oh, I'm going to buy, you know, I'm just going to buy seven or eight hitters and care, you know, just carry seven or eight hitters guys that are studs. And then I will just, you know, rotate, I'll flex, I'll use my pitchers. I'll have extra pitchers and have like a really deep pitching staff and, and sort of play matchups there, but really rely on my solid hitting core that I've built. Well, you know, you put that in, you know, I that was my idea going in. I put that into practice and I found out, oh, wait, sometimes these hitters only have two games. Sometimes they have five games. Sometimes, you know, a lot of times there's three teams in a game week that have four games and everybody else has three. And you're like, volume is king at that point, baby. You know, five extra plate appearances for across your lineup of five hitters is going to really make a big difference. So you got that. So now I'm realizing, okay, I actually want to have a lot of hitters. I actually want to just build a stable of hitters. And so I'm what I'm doing is I'm playing the matchups. Like you mentioned, uh, I bought, I built a, a Padre. I tried to, we, in the last episode, we talked about how I tried to build a Padre stack for, for their five game game week in game week three. And then in game week four, it became a, the diamondbacks and the Cubs both had the, the most games. And I was like, well, the Cubs are playing the nationals. The Diamondbacks are playing the Pirates. Which way do I want to go here? And I was like, let's go D-backs. Let's, I looked at some projections. I'm I'm big. There's one tool I'm using a lot, and I would recommend if you're looking for projection tools, Numberfire is doing some pretty good work, I think, and they can give you weekly and daily and rest of the season projections, which are useful. So went to Numberfire. They projected the D-backs for a lot more uh, offense than the Cubs in this week. So I decided to build, build a D-backs stack, and I had a lot of fun watching the D-backs Pirates game last night. Probably the first time in my life I've ever enjoyed watching a D-backs Pirates game. But <laughs> First time anyone's ever enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know all about it with your your Pittsburgh ties there, Chris. So, uh, but unfortunately, the Cubs are actually the Cubs raked in game one. The Cubs had like six runs in the first game of the game week. The the Diamondbacks had two, I think, maybe even only one. That that turned into like a huge pitching duel. So there's more games in the game week, and we'll see. I, I, what I know is I didn't get a lot out of my extra game, my fourth game from my D backs versus the rest of the field playing three games, but I did get about 25 points. So if my guys can That's step a lot. it up, yeah, if yeah. my guys can step it up and like and and deliver a little bit better performances in the remaining three games, all of a sudden I've got a bonus. So I think when it comes to hitting, volume is king, and that's a, that's a strategic tenet of this game that I'm starting to realize. I know a lot of the winners, you know, we we have chats with people in discords all over the the internet and different people that we talk to, you know. I'm friends with the guy who won rare all-star this weekend. I'm friends with the uh, the guy who won limited uh, this weekend, you know, (laughs) like, so I'm, I saw what they did and they stacked teams that had more games, you know, they stacked the Mets, they stacked the Phillies and things like that. So that was last weekend. So you see how the volume is King. You want to just get your guys opportunities and just hope they add up and hope they pay off. And so, yes, you do want to, carry mike judge on your roster and you want to be putting or i keep i always call him mike you, judge you do that's, always say that's mike the, that's my bob mentioned being a child of the 80s right I, I i just i've been watching too i've watched too much beavis and butthead in my life and watched office space too many times i always say mike judge aaron judge forgive me everybody but yes you want to carry aaron judge and on your uh on your lineup and you probably want to put him into your lineup every single game week but there's gonna be game weeks like imagine if you have mbappe you're never not going to play Mbappe in a game week if he if he has a game in in football. If you have Aaron Judge, there you're gonna. It's a decision. You might bench Judge for a game week because he's only got the two games versus a guy who has four games. I see Bob just shaking his head vigorously. No, 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 no. 
bad. And bad judge, is, judge is an outlier example because he can this, do he can do in two games what others do in four, obviously. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we were talking about Acuna, like in, in breaking out of slumps. All it takes is two swings from these guys to net you 30, 32 points. Like, I mean, a solo home run is worth 16 points. Like, you want a masher like Judge. And, I mean, Judge basically did meh yesterday until the top of the ninth inning just like solo home run and all of a sudden his score is just back to 28 in one game and mm-hmm. those are the kind of things that win i mean when i was talking to chris earlier in this i said you know you're gonna need like 280 like 40 points per person to win a tournament and it's coming out to about 35 to 40 points per person on average is what you're going to need to win these things and you need a couple of guys that can carry the dead weight because you said earlier dan that. The relief pitchers, like you're just not expecting much. You're hoping they get in the game. Like that is the hope, you know, to give unless you, you Spencer, unless you have Spencer Strider. Yeah, I mean, unless Spencer Strider choking against the Mets, and that's okay too. Oh, that was a Hey, listen, I mean, you were in, you were talking tripping about you know our friends that won rare, and like I came in fourth in rare because I grabbed Pete Alonso specifically for that game week knowing that he had four games and he massively turned up for me. And like, that's what actually like boosted me up there into a top four position. So like these strategies do work. Uh, Just if you have the opportunity to get guys you want, just you're going to keep them anyway. Like it's the market is not quite to the point mature enough where you can just easily turn these guys around. Nor would you really want to in all honesty, because like I plan on if I'm able to win an Aaron judge rare or super rare. I don't plan on letting that go, you know, until Roxy Sea Dog comes in and wants to give me a hundred ETH for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are there is that possibility when some whales show up from the football side, these things do happen because they missed out. And so, you know, you kind of plan these things out. And I think the strategy aspect of this game is what I'm really enjoying the most. Like I know in soccer who I want to start almost every yeah. week. I look at some mass, I look at the matchups and stuff like that. But like you have a pretty good idea where you're going the, the matchup's not going to make you bench you know Messi. Right. you know you're, you're just going to put Messi in it doesn't matter right. what they're playing yeah exactly but you know the more advanced we get into baseball we'll realize you know huh the cardinals are playing at coors field and coors field in colorado for anyone that doesn't know it's a mile up above sea level so higher altitude thinner air the ball travels farther like those are the kind of ideal places where you want guys playing. And so if I can put a guy like Paul Goldschmidt in my lineup in Colorado, there's a decent chance he's going to produce for me there. And I'm willing to run that gambit because again, if I spend money for a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, I'm holding on to him anyway. I'm not getting rid of him. So, you know, there are opportunities abound and you find those, those picks and, you know, and when we get to, you know, lefty righty and all that kind of stuff, it's really the minutia, but all of this is going to end up being, you know, data-driven analytics and the mm-hmm. data yeah. is show at the end of the year who is going to be worth what and who you really want to be targeting yeah for sure and One i know trippin trippin oh, has been targeting trippin has been targeting the nls just specifically because they play at course field yeah, like that's yeah. it that's the only reason he just well, loves the nls it, go, it goes to another big difference between the football game and the baseball game which is maturity the the football game has been running you know four seasons now Whereas this is the first month of the baseball game. So I think you have to approach the market very differently also, besides just your lineup building. What I've, what I've come to believe now, and I didn't believe this probably when we started this show, Chris, but just over the course of studying the markets and playing the game, I don't really think you you have much chance to be a mover and shaker in the market right now. I don't think the market really is 
I've bought a few cards on secondary. I bought most of my cards through auction. I have sold one card and that's it. Uh, it was thankfully I was able to sell it because it was a mistake purchase, <laughs> but the, uh, the market's really so, so immature and refining itself. And, you know, the market is off backpacking through Europe some point right right now, just, you know, uh, staying at hostels. Whereas, you know, the, the soccer so rare game is is taking out a mortgage on its second vacation home. You know, at this point, if you want to make that comparison, like and so what that means to me is that it's really more about accumulation mode for me right now is, is where I've gotten to in baseball, because I'm just, I'm not really trying to sell any of my cards. I do think that the way this game works with hot streaks and cold streaks and four game weeks versus two game weeks and, and things like that, that there's going to get to the point where there are a really nice, robust flipping economy. Once, once so rare builds out all the features of the website, et cetera. And we get, a better feel for what the actual prices of these cards are and then who's doing what there you're going to make have chances to make deadline day sales for higher. And I've seen that even a little bit because I, when I'm buying my, I've, I've basically bought a different stack for each game week. Now that rare game week has been running and spoiler alert, I'm on the, the Braves next week for game week seven. And <laughs> I think that, but I'm not selling my D backs that I bought for this week. I'm not selling the Padres that I bought two weeks ago. I'm just keeping those cards and I'm just accumulating and I'm just figuring out everyone has different price ranges and not everyone can afford to just buy, 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 buy and never sell. I get it. There are plenty of deals out there. If you stay up late, I, I try to buy a lot of my auctions like at 2 a.m. Eastern and, you know, 3 a.m. Eastern. I, I've set alarms to wake up to check an auction. I'm sure we've all done that in football also, but I'm doing it in baseball as well. And I just want to just accumulate cards because I think that it, it you can't really expect the market to be there right now, but you got to put yourself in the mindset of, of playing so rare soccer in 2019, which I wasn't, I didn't join till late or uh, till 2021 in, in so rare football. But I don't think that the people that were buying a bunch of soccer cards in 2019 and 2020 before the pandemic, like they probably weren't, tr they were trading a little bit, but I doubt they were trading quite as much as people are trading now. So I would like to think that if this game sticks around for a few years, the, the market economy is going to grow and grow deeper and more robust, like I said. But right now, I was telling people were saying, oh, I, I won. I don't know. My, you know, I've talked to some European friends like, oh, I, I won this limited card. You know, I didn't think I would even win. I don't even know who any of my players are, but I put a lineup together and it won a prize. And then I'm sitting over here thinking, well, I haven't won any prizes yet. <laughs> I'm on damn podcast co-host and I haven't won stuff yet. But uh <laughs> Regardless, people say, what should I do? What should I do with this limited card of another guy that I don't know who it is? And I say, keep it. Don't try to sell it. They're like, oh, he's not worth it. I, I can only sell it for 0.005. It's like, then why would you sell it? Just keep it. Let's see what happens. Let's see how much value these cards accumulate over time. Let's see how much first editions actually prove to get a premium two or three years down the line compared to next year's cards and things like that. And so you're going to have to be patient and I'm, I'm accumulating cards. I'm picking my, so now the next time the Padres or D backs come around for when they're in that advantageous position, as I see it, I've then I've already got the cards. So I'm kind yeah. of just playing it week by week, building a gallery, building a collection. So rare sucked me in again. Somehow I told myself <laughs> I'm not buying any more cards until they put damn trade offers on the website. And then here I am, you know, staying up late, setting alarms to buy auctions. So they got me. I can't help it. I'm a degenerate, but I really think you accumulate and move, move forward and, and see what happens. I think yeah. I really sucked you guys in more than anything. I think it's my fault. So you can all blame me at the end of this. Um, a couple more topics that I just want to get to really quickly here before we wrap up um, and kind of when we're going to actually go and scout 
one of the big differences I think that I don't I haven't really heard anybody talk about so far. When I watch a soccer game, I can kind of tell who the best player on the field is. At least I can tell like the top three and kind of go and research from there. You watch a baseball game, Aaron Judge can go over four or four strikeouts. And you might go, well, that guy sucks. You know, <laughs> he can drop a ball in right in, in center field. And you go, well, he's no good. I don't want him on my team. So you can't just watch one game and be like, well, he's a dud. Or, well, oh, this guy just went off. He had two home runs in his debut. He's probably going to be the next, you know, Aaron Judge. Um, no, that's that's not really how it works. Baseball is a much more long-term game. You don't really want to scout based on, you know, they, Sora Davis sells the last five, last 15, last 40. I don't even bother looking at any of those. I just go for the seasons. I just go full seasons. What's their average this year? What was their average in 2021? What was their average in 2019? I don't even, I don't even bother looking at last five or anything like last five means absolutely nothing. Um, So I think that's one of the really big differences in between the two. Either of you guys have any thoughts on that one? Yeah. I mean, it's fundamentally different when it comes right down to it. It's, I don't like the last five for me is a selling tool. The last 15 is a selling tool for people coming over from the football side that use that tool to buy cards. Like, and I know that because I know baseball. I mean, like I said before, it's a random number generator. The greatest players in history are hitting 300, hitting 350 near the Hall of Fame. That was one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Like people, I don't even know when the last time someone hit 400 is, but I wasn't alive for it. It's like Ted Williams, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then in the seventies, right? But I mean, Larry just, Walker, sorry about yeah. that strike. Yeah, I mean, it, but I mean, there are guys in Tony Gwynn that have pushed it, but like no one gets there. Like, and you think about that, I am going to fail six out of 10 times and I will go down. If I only fail six out of 10 times, it will be one of the top five greatest seasons in baseball history. So think about that. It is completely different than anything else we do. You know, if Mbappe misses six out of 10 penalty kicks, he's no longer taking penalty kicks. Well, it's Mbappe, so he probably is. But you know what I mean? If Maxi Morales, um, the NYCFC misses them, then yeah. But it's just, it's a whole different game and you have to be able to go with the highs and lows. And what I like about SoRare is the the accumulation aspect of this. So it's not just one game that makes or breaks you. Like you said, you know, Aaron Judge can go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Then the next game hit three home runs and scored you 50 points. And he's done that already while on the on the platform. And I mean, I bought a super rare, and you know, Trippin, of Christian Walker, who is a – he hits 200. It's called the Mendoza line, as you've said before, Chris. It is not good. But essentially, all he does is hit home runs or strike out. And so I looked at a five-game span of his, and it was minus 2, minus 1, 27, 29, minus 3. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, sign me up, you know? Chicks dig the long ball and so do we. Yeah, but I mean, but that's what happens with this game, you know? And, you know, one game at a time, you, you can't tell. You have to know a little bit more about baseball to really know who is good and what's happening. And I grew up with baseball. I played all throughout my childhood, up through college. So I've watched it my entire life. So like, we fundamentally know who the great players are, but it takes time you know, to figure that stuff out if you're brand new to the game. I mean, it'd be like asking me to try to figure out cricket. Like, I just yeah. don't know what I'm talking about, and nor do I care until a fantasy game gets put around, and then maybe I'll consider it. And like, and this is typically what happens. And I like the fact that it's opening up for people, but it's going to take time, as you said, Trippin, and we need the market to mature and more people to get in. And I think that part of that will really come down to the advertising, Chris, that gets put in and marketing that's put in for it around the playoffs. And I really have my fingers crossed that they hit it hard during the playoffs. 
Yeah, and I know they've been all over MLB Network, so kudos to them for kind of having that big deal in place and at least having the name kind of out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's just something that I ha- – I mean, I haven't even really told anybody that. I, like, no one's really asked me for advice or anything, but um, if you are trying to look for, like, who is a good player, who is not a good player, look at seasons. Like, guys can have down seasons as well. Like, that's something that just does not happen in soccer. If you're a good player, you're just good. You play well, whereas in baseball, I mean – you know, anything can happen. Guys can have guys can hit 220 in a season and still be a really, really, really good player. Um, any other thoughts on that, Jen? No, just totally agree with everything Bob said. And I really liked your tip that you offered, which is don't when you're scouting, do not pay attention to the L5 and L15. You'll just get yourself into traps. Just look at the season stats. Obviously, that's not going to work in the first month of a new season. You're going to have to sort of go back to the previous season. And, and like they say in football, Form is temporary, class is permanent, and that's not really a saying in baseball, but it, it should be because it definitely applies. And season, the season long stat. Once you get a, a, you know, once you get a baseball season starts in March, April. So once you get to May and June and July, you have enough of a sample size that you can trust your season stats. I feel, and if a guy's hot or cold for a given week or for a given fifteen game stretch, yeah, the, you, that will help you. But again, that's like Bob said, take advantage of that to try to get someone who's a little more naive than you to, to make a purchase that maybe they shouldn't, you know, sell a bad hitter who's on a hot streak through those numbers. But if you're scouting out people that you want to buy, you should look at the season and, it, and really uh, you can even look over the course of two and three seasons, like you said, Chris, and, and look, look deep on some of these guys. And, and then you can get into the really advanced scouting of analytics of how hard they hit the ball and what kind of pitches they're good against and stuff like that. That's that's a little in the weeds for a lot of the people, especially on the European side, who are just getting into this game. But you don't necessarily need that to succeed. And like I said, form and class, keep, keep a, a gauge of that in your head and like know who's good based on several years worth of stats, just not several weeks. Right. And you can yep. even use like last 15 as the last five, maybe because two weeks is kind of a decent, like an okay sample size mm-hmm. C form. And even like last 40 can kind of be like last 15. Um, but yeah, don't, don't ever use last five for anything. Um, last one I want to get to here yeah, before we kind of wrap really, things up. Yeah, Bob, go ahead. Like when it comes to form like that, you know, the way I look at it and the football side of things, soccer side of things, think of the, you know, under 40 specialist goalkeeper that you're always looking for. You know they're not very good. They give up a ton of goals, but you're putting them in your specialist lineup, hoping for that clean sheet. And that clean sheet is like that one random home run that snaps you out of a streak. And these things happen, and then you go on a tear. And we see this happen quite a bit on the soccer side when it comes to like U40 and specialist leagues and stuff like that. So that's kind of like my comparison there. Yeah, for sure. And also keep an eye on injuries as well, because in baseball, you don't get days off. You don't your body doesn't really heal. So if you have like a nagging injury that can kind of it can really hurt you for the entire season. Like, I think that's one of the problems that Acuna's had this year is he had an injury at the start, kind of rushed back a little bit. And he still isn't quite really Acuna yet, Um, because, I mean, this the dude can hit 40, 40 home runs and steal 40 bases in a season um, without any problem. So. Yeah, he's much better than the stats he's put up, and I think people are shying away a little bit, saying, like, look at his stats. He hasn't really produced anything this year, which is sort of true, but, you know, that's not necessarily uncommon in baseball. Yeah, um, they might taking it to Nellis, too. He paid over an ETH for the number one of for it, so, you know, there is that. I did offer him a trade, by the way. I offered to trade my four for his one, uh, just so that we would both get our our horrible auctions off the uh, off the market. We wouldn't have to look at that number anymore. But he said no, unfortunately. Um, so, 
last one here before we before we wrap things up um and i want to kind of bring attention to the fact that baseball fans are different than soccer fans as well when you're going into actually buy these cards you definitely want to pay attention to what collectors would like because in soccer it doesn't really matter if their jersey number is the card number i mean some there I, i've met maybe two or three people that actually um are, are doing that kind of thing in soccer there just is not a premium it's just basically the same you know card rookie cards are the same way in soccer they're there sort of but they don't really have a premium baseball we would expect much heavier premiums on things like rookie cards we would expect much heavier premiums on things like jerseys one ofs um first year um anything like that so just kind of the different mindset between you know soccer fans and and baseball fans and i don't know if either of you guys have collected baseball cards in the past i know i did um i think most baseball fans did um but yeah just kind of speak to uh maybe a little bit bob of what kind of goes into what what collectors kind of look for well, I mean, it's the one of and the Jersey Mint, right? And we have actually seen this show itself in another NFT platform, NFT Top Shot, which is really American kind of focused with the NBA basketball, where the one ofs and the last mints and the jersey numbers were selling for an exorbitant amount compared to everything else. And so I think that we have the potential to get to the same place with uh, MLB. I think that, again, like all of these things, it takes time. You know, I mean, if you want to spend the time to buy every single limited card and treat it like you are buying like a Don Ross set of baseball cards, like more power to you. But I mean, that's going to the extreme. But there there's probably going to be someone like Pavel Trader that does that. Now, you know, it's it's for what you like. It's what makes you happy, because at the end of the day, it's a game. You know, these are collections. These are your objects and it's up to you what you do with them. And you got to have fun with it. And if you just buy them willy nilly, then so be it. You know, if you're buying them for a specific person purpose, be patient with them. I mean, that's like my overarching thing here is like, just be patient. This has a lot of time to go. You know, we're going to see a lot more move forward. Collectability, you know, I've been in soccer for so long that the collectability is not my main concern, but I do know that five, 10 years from now, these first rounds of cards, the first super rare of Rafael Devers, might actually be worth a little bit more than it is now outside of the utility. So who knows? You know, I mean, I'd like to see that happen. You know, we need more of the American market in there where collecting is the thing that we do. I mean, I remember growing up and going to like the local gas station to buy baseball card packs and hoping you get something, just ripping them open and not knowing anybody that was in those packs. They all sucked, you know, and, and that's what happens. But you just you have fun with it. And the collecting aspect, I'm hoping it turns out it's not what I'm focusing on now, but the three of us are buying early. We're in all this already. So we're going to have those collectible pieces. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I, I think so rare need that it goes, that goes to the, what I said earlier about accumulating cards, you know, just keep accumulating cards. I don't want to sound like a shill too much. Like just buy, 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 never sell. But part of the fun of building a baseball physical card collection for me when I was a kid was that that just having a lot of cards you know and just being able to like just look at all these different cards and what makes them different and things like that and and there's some things that are uh, physical cards have that so rare cards don't have which adds to their collectability which is stats on the back you know one of the things i that you used to love about collecting physical cards is you could hold it in your hand and, and it's not necessarily the hold it in the hand but the fact that there was a front and a back and you could flip it over and read some little tidbits about the player and see their stats for recent years 
that I, I don't see why so rare couldn't add that in terms of a, a dynamic thing where you click on a card in your gallery and it it flips over and tells you some so5 stats or or you know they could take a page out of so rare data's book and show you all the rewards that you have won with that card and things like that uh, that's one of my favorite things to do on so rare data it, it with my soccer cards is go back and like check what rewards i won with a certain card i'd love to see that come into be fully integrated in the main so rare site they've got a lot of coding to do before they get there obviously the other thing they need to do though and, and with the, with the no eth rewards if so really, really wants to promote collectability and enhance the market and get people trading on cards just buying them just to buy them and own them and hold them because they think it's cool to own this card like you get with a lot of physical cards what they need to do is come up with better pictures we don't just need the straight ahead headshot you know full body media day shot of a guy staring straight at the camera that's no fun no one wants to collect that you want to collect cards of great action shots you want outfielders diving at the wall you want home run sluggers taking a big cut i remember back when i was a kid my brothers and i collected cards and we always loved there's this old i think 86 tops willie mcgee for the cardinals and he was he had this like scowl on his face and he was just kind of like looking off and he was like so mad and we always had this like my two younger brothers and i would joke like oh willie mcgee don't piss him off you know like and so we love to have that card because it was just a it was an interesting picture it wasn't the greatest picture of all time but it was interesting these so rare pictures i hate the fact that they're staring straight ahead headshots in soccer and i hate the fact that they're staring straight ahead headshots in baseball and i think that there's a lot more of a chance to get some better more dynamic images for the cards on the major league baseball side because there's such a there's tons i just know there's more photos available and it's easier to get an action shot uh, uh, that looks good in a baseball than it is sometimes in soccer because there's so many crowded like it's tough to get a clean shot of a guy because they're usually in a crowd of people so that's one thing the other thing they can do and I, i've talked about this with john nellis of like just different designs like obviously you're not going to change the red yellow blue black color scheme for scarcities of cards but i think it would be cool if, if there was just like a little mark on there just like they have for the rookie card there should be a mark on reward cards that you won so they stand out from your gallery a little bit more like oh i bought this card oh but i won that one and obviously you can check the prices down below and stuff like that for them to to see the little trophy or whatever but it'd be cool if it was marked on the card itself i think that would add to collectability like oh i do i really want to sell this card i won it or do I want to do I want to make an offer on this card from this other manager because it's something that they won? Maybe I'm going to have to offer more. Just like those kind of dynamics are what I'm hoping comes into this game, which aren't there yet. But I have hope and potential. I just think so rare that they, they don't really their responsibility is a matter of debate. You can we'll all have different opinions on what so rare owes its users in terms of the quality of, of content and gaming experience they're providing. But in my mind, I don't think it's too much to ask for them to step it up a little bit in terms of making the cards look, they look great. They look cool, but they could look more interesting with photos. They could look more interesting with different designs based on rewards and or player of the week additions. They could, you know, guy hits three home runs in a game. He gets a special mark on his next 50 minted cards or, or things like that. It's just so easy to come up with. Like I just came up with all that off the top of my head. I wasn't planning to say any of that, but it just popped out. Like someone at so rare needs to be up there thinking about these kind of things and how they can implement them in my mind. May, I'm, who's to say they aren't, but haven't seen it yet. Communication has been a little lacking on, on where the game's going. And that's probably by design because they don't want to give away anything that's proprietary, but. And I tell you what, Dan, I mean, they are signed with MLB, right? So mm -hmm. it's not like, 
they have to sign with the Jupiler League and then La Liga and Serie A. They're signed with MLB. MLB owns the rights to all of these highlights and things like that. And like, I want in 10 years to be able to look back at these first print cards saying, wow, those looked terrible. I want to see the dynamic images. I want to see, like, because you own the rights, show me a Aaron Judge hitting a Grand Slam highlight as my reward. And if you start introducing those kind of rewards, that would be absolutely insane. You want to talk about collectivity? collectability and like actually like boosting a market like that changes a complete dynamic and remember last year they talked about adding moments to the when uh, Bundesliga. Bundesliga, yeah and yeah. like still waiting that, i want to see if that actually happens it would be great if it did and you know if they're able to in you know however long it takes but if they get to that point where we actually have a cool reward come out that is different that is a dynamic image that is even a moment at some point in the future would be absolutely insane and i think that your licensing rights they all go through mlb anyway and i know that we spoke with a couple people today involved with one of the major league baseball teams the contracts behind nfts are supremely complex and so rare has the fantasy contract for mlb it doesn't have the imaging contracts like that that you know and that's candy that has it like there are DraftKings owns like their gambling rights and all that kind of stuff so there are a lot of legal minutia that you have to go through to make these things work and i know that so rare at some point will work through to get these things but that would be a dream scenario to say 10 years from now when i'm looking back at my cards like wow that looks terrible like that would be for any kind of project like that's what you want like we've come so far beyond that that's awesome yeah that would be really really cool from a from a collectability standpoint and i know we've talked a lot about collectability today i just want to wrap things up with a quick question for each of you and we'll start with dan what was your what was the best card that you ever owned or your favorite card that you ever owned or or anything that you collected that you were like this is this is pretty cool besides my 86 tops william mcgee I mean, if that's what you want to go with, go with it. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, is it? Are we going to limit this to baseball? Because I think my basketball collection was probably a little more impressive. I did have an '86 Fleer, Michael Jordan rookie, a couple of them. But for the baseball side, let's say favorite, and let's go with my '87 tops. The wood, the wood panel borders, probably the greatest baseball card set that's ever been created. 1987 tops. If you don't know, look it up. You better ask somebody because it's the real deal. The greatest set ever has so many amazing rookies and has the Jose Canseco rookie. And I'm not a, I'm not a, I was a Jose Canseco fan as a kid way back in the day. I love the bash bros. I love the four. He was the first ever 40, 40 man. I didn't know what steroids were, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> back then. So I loved Jose Canseco. I, nowadays I'm mo more indifferent on Jose. I think he's kind of a, an extreme character to say the least, but man, when he was bashing it up for the Oakland days, him and McGuire back in the day, uh, the Jose Canseco 87 tops, I, I think he actually might have that. I think it was actually McGuire was the rookie card in that set. I think Jose had an 86 rookie now that I remember, but I just yep. love those 87 tops. Give me Ricky Henderson. Give me Jose Canseco. Give me any Oakland A from the 1987 tops. And that's a great card. I promise. Bob, what do you think? So for me, I can't remember what year it was. I have it downstairs in one of my closets. It's a Roberto Clemente. It's completely mm -hmm. screwed, but I absolutely love the card. And I mean, for those of you that don't know anything about baseball, Roberto Clemente, one of the best players of his time, died giving a flying aid to refugees. Just an absolutely amazing man. And it's my favorite card that I've ever owned. You know, I've, I have the Ken Griffey Jr., what is it, 89 upper deck rookie. I, I, I had that one too, classic. Yeah. Did you have but, the uh, Billy Butler is the real question. 
or Billy Ripkin, Billy, excuse me. Billy Butler. I man, I the, remember the Billy Ripkin with the uh, with the bad that had the F word on it, and the, they had to like scramble and reprint it and get it out of out of packs. It was a very classic story. If you don't know that one, look it up. You're bringing back those wood paneled cards, and like because of those wood paneled cards, like we used to go on cards. We used to go on road trips with my family, and my brother and I. We would always look for station wagons that had the wood paneling on them and mm-hmm. call them. So we would just punch each other as hard as humanly possible every time we saw a woodchuck. And then we just like start trading our baseball cards back and forth because that's what you did as a kid. So, yeah. And I remember back when my brothers and I, when we would play with our baseball cards, the funniest thing ever is that we didn't know, we didn't call it this, but we essentially were playing fantasy games. We invented fantasy games to play with our cards where you, you'd set it, you, you pick a few guys and you like flip over the stats on the back. Like I said, and you compare stats and like, Oh, my guy's better, et cetera. So it was a very primitive form of now what we're doing here on so rare in, in a digital format. It's just amazing that like, even back then I could imagine what if we like, we could play a game with these cards and now it's finally here. It's, it's we're just incredible. big kids playing with our toys. Right boys. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Uh, yeah. Mine just, really quickly mine was a uh there's a 1992 pack i think it's like a ted williams company or some very off off brand like very obscure thing but they had a michael jordan baseball card before he went to play minor league baseball and they also had a Derek jeter like basically like a first bowman like when he was first drafted as the number one pick for the yankees um like back in 1992 and they're both in i got them back to back in one pack uh the one is worth like four dollars the others worth three dollars but i don't even care um that was the coolest thing pulling michael jordan and Derek jeter out of a out of a baseball pack back to back um so yeah i think i think that'll wrap things up we got to keep things relatively short today as uh as bob's got a little bit of schedule i'm exhausted so you can blame it on me if you'd like but uh that is going to be it thank you so much for the the time bob we always appreciate hearing from you and you're obviously welcome on the show anytime happy to be here guys thank you so much i'll be chatting with you both soon